Hello, Georgia, and hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 18th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. Of course, you can listen to Local Matters on the radio on Wednesday afternoons at 1.30 on WKZK or on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m., but you can listen to the podcast version, which is the exact same audio, at any time at your convenience. To listen to the podcast, please go to and follow the Local Matters of Georgia Facebook page. You can go to my website, which is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com, or you can go directly to Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. We started 2023 with two great episodes related to public education with someone who is not a, an educator by training, but who is a concerned citizen who has spent a lifetime thinking about ways to ensure that public schools are more effective for everyone, regardless of income level, race, or family background. You can catch that episode on my YouTube channel, which we also invite you to subscribe to, and that is the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia YouTube, or you can listen to the two separate episodes via podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Patrick Dix. He has researched how automation has changed the workforce and specifically which types of people and jobs companies need and which ones they won't need going forward. As you consider your own career path, he offers great insight into the future of the modern workforce. Local Matters family, joining us today is Dr. Patrick Dix. Uh, he is a resident of our greater Augusta metro area, and he has taken on some very significant work in regard to automation. Uh, and we're gonna just have a, a broad ranging conversation today about the trends in automation as well as how that affects us on a human level. How are you doing today, Dr. Dix? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on your show. I appreciate you wanting to be here because this is a topic that we have not addressed. And I think you're one of the rare experts in the world, in fact, on this. So we're glad that you're willing to lend some time to our local matters family to help them uh, become more familiar with these issues. But before we get started with that, if you could for me, just kind of give us a short overview of your background, where you're from, where you went to school, and how it is that uh, you've become a subject matter expert on automation. Well, I am from the great city of Williston, South Carolina. I still live here. Um, I was born on a farm, you know, and raised on a farm. My dad had a paint and body shop, and that's where I came into the element of learning how things work and putting things together. Um, I graduated from Williston Elko High School. I went to South Carolina State University and majored in computer science. Then I went to Webster University and earned my MBA. And then I went to Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh and earned my doctorate of science. 
And along that journey, um, I've been around computers since, I can't remember the year, but it's been 25 years. The first uh, computer I got introduced to was a Tandy that my parents bought for my sister. It was a Tandy computer that had a three and a half inch floppy drive. And ever since then, I've been in tune with computers, but I've always realized how things work from the farming aspect of putting things together and putting cars together with my brother and my father. And when I started to write my dissertation, I knew a couple of months ahead I was going to talk about something robotic. But when you start to craft a dissertation and you take on ideals, I was going to talk about, you know, the education side of it. But as I talked with my advisor and I presented the topic more, I saw that the bigger issue was automating, eliminating jobs. So I was at first going to do the southeastern United States and we funneled it down to South Carolina. So that's how the topic came up, the uh, automation and manufacturing, the potential and the potential effects on rural communities in South Carolina. So that's how we came to that conclusion. Okay. All right. And you finished up your doctoral program when? Uh, 2020. Oh, yes. 2017 to 2020. I had to fly to Pittsburgh once a month. So I came through Augusta 23 times. This is right when the pandemic started. I had to sit in class on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We had 30 days to do the work and we had to do a two two week long residency, not two weeks at a time, but two weeks a year. So I had to stay up there from Sunday to Sunday um, twice a year. All right. Very good. So um, as you speak about automation, I think it would be helpful for our listeners if you just gave a quick definition of what that really is. Automation in simplified terms is the replacement of human interaction and the replacement of the humans in the process. Basically, it's a computer or process doing the work of a human. Okay, a computer or a process doing the work of a human. Yeah. And thank you for that very succinct definition. And if I, I, I want to try to make this a little bit more real for our audience. Um, as I was researching for this show, of course, I watched your YouTube channel. And um, if you could just tell our listeners about your YouTube channel, too. Oh, on my YouTube channel, it has numerous interviews I've done. I've been featured on other um, YouTube, other YouTubers podcasts, but my channel consists of the interviews. It consists of the videos I created to give everyone a better overview of automation. I have a three-part series. I have um, audio basically to where I'm talking about my research. And I'm going to be adding some new videos this year uh, quite frequently, maybe one or two a month to help everyone understand more about automation and how it's going to affect them. And the name? Oh, uh, Dr. Patrick Dix. That's Dr. the name. Dr. All right. Great. Great. Just want to make sure. And that's Dix, D-I-C-K-S. Yeah. Folks, um, please go look for that and subscribe to his channel if you want to get more information. Um, but as I was researching, you know, I watched a couple of videos there, watched some interviews that you've done, and I started thinking about automation. And the first thing that came to mind for me was the creation of the cotton gin um, mm-hmm. when it became uh, more feasible to use a piece of equipment than use people because the equipment could get the work done faster than the people could. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
if anyone has ever taken cotton out of the seed or the plant, you know, the cotton is surrounded by the seed. And actually, if you've seen the modern machines that have spindles, you know, that go all the way around, they spin around and they actually take the um, cotton off of the actual plant and leave the seed there. So with the cotton gin, the mechanicalization of it basically was to do the same thing. But if I'm correct, I would have to look back at it. It was hand cranked. It wasn't automated yet because you would have people pick the cotton and then they would have to take the seed out of it when you had a machine to where when they picked all the cotton, you just put it in and it will take care of everything else. Okay. And I see that as sort of the beginning of maybe equipment can do this better than people can. Exactly. And it seems like over the years, the equipment has become more sophisticated, obviously. Um, I also, my next thought was, I remember when I was a little kid, you know, first, second, third grade, I remember a teacher or teachers telling students, hey, if you don't get this lesson now, if you don't learn how to read, if you don't mm -hmm. finish high school, you're going to wind up digging ditches. And now we're at the point where you got a backhoe to dig ditches. You just need a skilled operator to make it happen. So even those sorts of opportunities, and which wasn't much of an opportunity, that was why the teacher was placing it in those terms. But um, even those sorts of things that workers with no skill or low skill could do, um, those opportunities don't exist anymore because of the availability of that equipment. Yes. And one thing I was just thinking of, they called it the original car was called a horseless carriage. Um, if people don't remember back at the turn of the century uh, with Henry Ford creating the Model T, they had carriage drivers. Once they came up with the concept of a car, people could drive themselves. And that is a form of automation. That is the turn of the third industrial revolution to where we had internal combustion motors, we had um, steel, we had um, some other things that pay, played a pivotal role, but the car is a form of automation to where I crank it up, I could drive myself. So they call it the horseless carriage because before then everyone had horses. Once yeah. that, uh, once the car took them, um, once the vehicle and cars took Eve, there was no need for carriages, but you know, people still needed horses. Okay, um, but apparently needed horses less than they did once the once the cars were made that kind of made the horse expendable yes and then with the tractor that made the horses not needed either that that was the other form the tractors relating back to the cotton gin once the tractor played in they didn't need someone to be behind a donkey or a horse the tractor did everything and from when I was little now, I remember my um, grandfather had the plates in the planters and they had the combines and everything I mean, I look at these YouTube channels at these tractors that have these 36 row headers. It's this is 30, 40 years ago in the 80s, you know, when I was little. I mean, I look at how far that stuff has came in 40 years. So, wow. So if we fast forward now to 2023, mm -hmm. um, how do you see what are some of the trends that you see in automation and how do you see that impacting uh, the need for a labor force? Um, well, with automation is getting more sophisticated and it's becoming more widespread. Um, one of the big things that is coming up, I think last year, it was the Google engineer came out and said the automation is self-aware. Basically, it can think for itself. So that's one of the 
very dangerous parts about this kind of technology. Once it becomes self-aware, it can think for itself. The other aspect of it is if you take that out of it, it eliminating jobs. If you've been to a grocery store, there's self-checkout hours. Self-checkout hours are becoming more and more popular. With people not in, with people not wanting to work, it is driving the element of automation. And the pandemic, um, basically, as I tell everyone, it caught companies with their pants down. A company will never stop production again. So they are going overtime. They're working overtime and they're going overboard to make sure they never have to stop production again. And the last element is with people fussing about minimum wage, you know. So what companies are doing is saying, hold up, instead of raising a minimum wage, we'll raise it. But in the back in the background, we're going to figure out how not to use you. So that's that. Those are three key things to where we are really in a lot of trouble. And people just, you know, people not wanting to work minimum wage. They need things faster and they need things produced quicker. And of course, one of the other drivers that I think about for this too is just the stock market. Stock market is always looking for ways to uh, raise profits, which mm -hmm. makes the stock more beneficial for the stockholders. And you know, I have to admit, I'm one of the most avid stock market watchers ever. You know, I'll peek at my phone several times a day to see uh -huh. how the market's doing. Because all of us are so dependent on pension funds and everything else. We're so dependent upon um, that market. But the whole idea of cutting costs and driving profits up also probably provides some pretty substantial incentives for additional automation, don't you think? Yes. Um, the goal of any company is to do more with less. And if they can invest, if anyone knows about investing in a company and Six Sigma, you know, you have people with those certifications trying to figure out how to make things faster or to make things more efficient. So a company will take 1.5 million and say, hey, we can write it off as a loss, but let's invest in their technology. And once they perfect it, they could say, hey, we're going to lose money the first two years. Well, we cut 200 workers. We could take their salary and invest it. Then they could say, okay, hold up. In year three, we're projected to make two million. Year four, uh, 25. Year, year five, 60 million. And what they'll do, they'll license that technology to other companies and get licensing fees. And then the other companies will cut off and then that'll drive profits up. Yeah. And which is what all the shareholders want. Mm -hmm. which is also why you wind up with the CEO or he or she has come up with one of these ideas or, you know, promoted one of these ideas that will eventually have some long-term cost savings and be, being able to um, sell that or license that to other companies. All that's driving up the CEO's compensation package too. Yep. Exactly. So is it, and you, you tell me, cause obviously you're the expert here, but, it seems like those that are on the high end, like the CEO and the VP for research and development or what have you, those folks are getting richer and richer. Mm -hmm. And those folks who are on the lower end of the scale would have been our traditional blue collar sorts of workers. Um, there are fewer and fewer opportunities for them to, to, to do the work, to participate in the profit making of the company because there's so much automation in a nutshell. Is that kind of it? Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Those workers that work on the lines, as they call it in a manufacturing facility, anything pretty much to the listeners or the viewers, anything repetitive, 
that is a good candidate for automation. Anything where you're going boom, 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 boom. Because, you know, people on the line, you know, with Henry Ford, the assembly line was there, but they just perfected it. So they they were saying, boom, boom, boom. You do the same thing all the time. That's a good form of machine learning, which is a subset of artificial intelligence and automation. And that is the ultimate goal. Um you know, there's no other way to say it. I, you know, I hate to scare people and say, but if you're doing a repetitive task, if you're a female or male doing an administrative task, those are very strong candidates for automation. There are certain blue collar fields. Um, things cannot be automated. They get assistance, but you can't automate how to do HVAC. You can't automate it electrical. If you look in Atlanta, all the pipes busting when we had that hard freeze, that is strictly, strictly blue collar. And I posted on my Instagram, those people are about to be millionaires because you cannot have an apartment building or a commercial building without water or power. So blue collar is a very rewarding field. Um, people can go get certifications in it that say you work in a manufacturing facility. You don't have to get into debt. You can go to a two year school and be an apprentice. But it is a very, very rewarding field. Okay. And do you think this may be a trick question, but do you think as you say that and I'm one that is, has been a staunch advocate for um, the notion that everybody does not need a four-year college degree um, because we need plumbers and HVAC techs and, you know, uh, plumbers, HVAC is one more, other mechanical trades, um, electricians, because mm -hmm. we need those folks regardless. If we're going to live, we're completely dependent upon them. Um, I'm an advocate for folks getting the technical education so that they are trained to do those things. But will we reach a saturation point with those? I know we haven't so far, but I wonder if we will reach a saturation point uh, where we really don't need that. Will there be excess people out there once we've got enough folks to do those very necessary things? Um, will there be just not room for some other folks? Um, in a blue collar, I don't think you can never have enough people because the baby boomers are leaving. I went to a mechanic shop the other day to ask them something. And he said, we can't find anyone to work. He said, we have to work and we have the money to pay, but we can't find anybody. You know, certain cars still need auto mechanics. And in perspective to the other blue collar fields, I don't think we'll never have enough people. We're always going to need those people because it's labor intensive. And, the, and it's a skill set that requires a lot of analytical and technical thinking. So I don't think there will ever be an oversaturation of blue collar people. The problem I think we'll always have, there will always be a deficiency of them, not enough people to fill the roles. OK, you know, I went to my accountant's office and he said the same thing. He said, yeah, I want to hire people, but it's just nobody out there to hire. So at mm -hmm. that end of the spectrum as well. Um, there definitely is room for folks who have the right training and experience to take on those roles. Yep, exactly. um, as you just have thought through this, and obviously you're getting a ton of thought uh, and a ton of research and study. How in particular would you say that this is uh, affecting the African-American population in our country? Um, particularly, um, African-Americans think education is something you don't need. When I was on a podcast with a young lady and I pulled up the Bureau, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, which is a reputable source and the numbers stated for the third quarter of those folks that had education and those folks didn't, you know, numbers don't lie. And that's one of the reasons why we are behind. Two, people think they know everything. Three, willingness, no willingness to adapt. 
Um, the world is changing every day. I wake up every day and I discover with myself, how can I be more of an asset to society and to myself? That, to, from my point of view, those three reasons are why we are behind. And, you know, we, we have a lot of people in our community that work a lot of um, very simple jobs. And to the listeners and viewers, the days of working very simple jobs are over. You know, someone could say, I can work a simple job and make a lot of money. That is not going to ever happen again. You can't do less and get more. You know, that's the goal of a company, as I stated earlier. But one of the things is people always wanted to take the low road in life. You're going to have to be an overachiever. And our community is going to have to become overachievers to really compete with the rest of the world. Okay. Um, at one point, also appeared, I guess, over the last, I can't remember now, it's 10 years, maybe 20 where uh, service industry jobs became the thing. Um, and when I say service industry, mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of those things that historically African-Americans have done at very low wages, like lawn care, like housekeeping, et cetera. The paradigm seems to have shifted from, you know, hey, I got a gardener and I'm paying a minimum wage to now I've got a lawn care service and I've got employees and I've got equipment and it has become mm -hmm. a much more lucrative sort of career pursuit business opportunity. Um, do you see that things like lawn care and housekeeping, because also a lot of obviously housekeeping services have also uh, taken the place of somebody that used to have a mate came in a couple of days a week. So um, how do you see those careers? Will those service careers always be there or do you see automation affecting them to a large degree as well? Certain jobs like lawn care, they have robots that cut grass, but you're going to have to have people come to landscape and lawn care. Um, I think that would always be there. Certain aspect of housekeeping, there's delicate things that have to be clean. There won't be that many people need it, but you're going to have to have humans still do many of those intricate tasks. So that service aspect of that will be there. I mean, you can't have somebody come cut shrubbery or a machine do it yet. I'm pretty sure they're working on it, but you will need humans for that. And to come in and dust furniture, clean a house, reorganize furniture, you know, like movers, you're going to always need those kind of people. So those aren't going anywhere. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks for that. One other thing I saw that you had posted on your LinkedIn page was about an AI. And I'll have you explain that as well. Cause you know, to some of us, AI is Alan and Iverson. So I'll have you explain <laughs> what AI is, but AI for legal services. Can you break that down for us? Basically it stands for artificial intelligence. Basically it is a machine thinking. It's a artificial brain. Basically the case that I posted about the lawyer starting to hear speeding tickets. I talked to someone about that a couple of years ago, a lawyer from Texas. And she said, we are aware this is coming. So back in 2019 or 20, I talked to her. They were already aware of it. And what they're going to do now is um, they can, they cannot be, they could be biased, but they can't. We have to remember if we have lawyers that are already preoccupied and no one wants to come represent somebody. So they're like, okay, well, this is the traffic court lawyer. Well, put in a computer what you think the case should be and what should they pay? So that, that is pretty much to where we're heading with that aspect of it. I mean, you have a lot of lawyers that do not want to, or judges, um, because you know, you go to traffic court, you have a judge up there. They have to pay their money. They're like, okay, well, 
just put a machine out there with two monitors and let it regurgitate what you need. And, you know, you have some magistrates that would do that, but some people aren't qualified to do it. So we'll, they'll say, well, we'll just get a machine to do it. The MLB um, started last year, the year before, using AI to help them judge pitches better. If you watch baseball, one of the big uh, things is, did the umpire call a strike or a ball? They're like, well, we'll use technology to help us make a better call for it. They use it in football. They use it on every, in everything. So they're just using that concept now in the legal field, which is scary. But they still going to have to have like a second opinion, I'm thinking. I would have to talk to a lawyer more. But I'm pretty sure if the decision seems very irrational, they're still going to defer to a human. They won't need many humans, as I say, with everything, but they'll have to refer to someone else if it uh, puts out a very irrational decision. And that seems like a more logical thing to me is to have um, uh, the technology as an aid Mm -hmm. to the human as opposed to the technology replacing the human. Mm -hmm. Well, in the facilities, um, they have what they call a collaboration robots. It's to aid someone doing a process, but there are certain dangerous things I admit we need robots to do. When you think about things in a nuclear, when you're thinking about heavy built, heavy, heavy um, machinery, there are certain things to where automation and robotics really need to come in. They aid is collaborating with it. You know, it takes the it takes the safety of the human in perspective and actually helps them out. But um, when we're talking about it being the second thing, you know, it depends on the field that we're in. It's going to be there as a reference, but we just have to also remember, we don't have a lot of people that are really training to do a lot of white collar jobs anymore. So instead of trying to figure out or leasing or contracting out, they're like, well, we just pay $500,000 for a computer system that'll help us out. We just got a couple minutes left. Is there anything else that you want to share with our Local Matters listeners? Um, One of the biggest things is I just want people to remember this is very real. Um, Google automation of the workforce. I know over in over there in Augusta, I went to a checkers and one out of state. They already using AI to help take the orders. If you go to I think it's the one on Washington Road or White Wrightsboro Road. They're already using AI to take orders. So if you work in many of these industries, uh, fast food, your job is going to be gone eventually. Self-checkout hours, they, you could bag your own food. Um, manufacturing, please, people, I don't want people to think this isn't coming. This is here. So I want everyone to really look at their life and really think about their occupation. If you're the saying that I tell everyone, if your occupation or job is not helping move society forward, you are going to be obsolete. If you're not, innovating if you're not teaching or you're helping to move people forward there's really no use for you in society and I hate to say it like that but I'm being very honest you know I'm a very um direct person I want people to succeed you know all the doom and gloom we talked about um Janice there's still time to prepare go to your local college um look at stuff in STEM look at the blue collar fields right now is a right now is a great time to transition into something to where you can have a great life. But once this stuff becomes concrete, it is over with. And I just want everyone to be prepared. And also you can find me on Instagram at King of Automation. It is K-I-N-G-O-F-A-U-T-O-M-A-T-I-O-N. I spell it out because you know sometimes it sounds funny saying it. And you can also look up Dr. Patrick Dix. And I'm on LinkedIn too with the same name, Dr. Patrick Dix. 
And I know you also have a feature on your LinkedIn where people can schedule a consultation with you. What types of folks are scheduling consultations? I'm just curious is who, who's your audience for those? Um, older and younger people. Um, I have one today. As a matter of fact, at 2.30, they listened to me on someone's channel and they were saying, I need to switch. I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts you have been doing and my career is really going downhill. I need someone to help me. I'm helping people with career transitions, learning about technology. I'm not here to, you know, just um, tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to help you get a plan together and see what situation you're in and where you want to go. So it's also, you could find me, um, yeah, you could book a consultation with me on LinkedIn. And you can also, I forgot my website. You can go to the Dix Consulting Group and you can click the appointment button. And if you reach out to me on Instagram, you can, there are several ways you can, there are several ways that you can book a consultation with me. If you follow me on Instagram, you can go to my link tree. So if you reach out to me and want a consultation, we can make it happen in simple terms. Okay. All right. Dr. Dix, again, uh, audience, this has been Dr. Patrick Dix. We thank him so much for joining the Local Matters family. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me, Janice. Local Matters family, please join us next week. My guest will be John Milton, who is the host of Barbershop Talk Live. You may recall I was on his show at the end of December, and he's going to return the favor and come to Local Matters. Be blessed, everyone. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.